0: Well, we are continuing, as Andy said, our series on Jesus of the Prophets uh, with the sermon A New Day Is Coming, and it's already here. And our scripture reading begins in uh, Amos 8. And before we read the scripture, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we need the ministry of your Holy Spirit in us. We need it for a couple of reasons. One is there is within us a sin that still remains as believers and if we're not believers the sin that remains and consequently we don't hear well and we don't understand well and so we ask that you would come and work by your spirit in us open up the scriptures for us enable us to see enable us to see ourselves as the word would reveal ourselves to us but also most of all enable us to see the glory of our risen living reigning savior the lord jesus help me father you know my weaknesses they're huge but i ask the lord that you may be seen in all your glory that we may see your glory in the preaching of your word this morning in jesus name amen hear the word of god If you have your Bibles, follow along. If not, follow on the screen. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain in the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances, That we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into incarnation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the mourning for an only son in the end of the day like a bitter day. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel? Now in chapter 9, declares the Lord, Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt and the Philistines from Kaftor and the Syrians from Ker? Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For behold, I will command and shake the house of Israel among all the nations as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, who say disaster shall not overtake us or meet us. In that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen, and repair its breaches, and raise up its ruins, and rebuild it as in the days of old. That they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord, Who does this? Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the trader of grapes, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine, and they shall make gardens. And eat their fruit. I will plant them in their land. And they shall never again be uprooted out of the land. That I have given them. Says the Lord your God. This is the word of God. And it is the truth. The young preacher came to the pulpit. It was his first sermon in his first church. And so he announced his text from Revelation Behold, I am coming quickly. And then his worst fears were realized. He couldn't remember what came next. And so he thought, I'll just say it again. Maybe it'll come. Behold, I am coming quickly. Still nothing. So he tried it a third time, this time with more zeal, more vigor, more energy and enthusiasm. Behold, I'm coming quickly. And with that, he fell off the stage, (laughs) right into the lap of the oldest lady in the congregation who was sitting on the front. He jumped up and said, Oh, man, I am so sorry, ma'am. I don't know what happened to me. I, I lost my balance. And she said, Son, You don't need to apologize to me. I should have moved. You told me three times you were coming. (laughs) That's a great story. It's not a true story, but it is a funny story. But Amos tells us a true story that is not a funny story. The northern kingdom was in such bad shape, God couldn't even find a prophet. He had to go to the southern kingdom of Judah and say, Amos, I want you to go to the north. I want you to go to Samaria, the capital, and I want you to preach. And we have nine chapters in the book of Amos of his recorded sermons. And in eight and three quarters of the chapters of those recorded sermons we hear the message of Amos the judgment of God is coming the judgment of God is coming the judgment of God is coming but the people didn't move and the Lord came it was the middle of the 8th century that Amos, 8th century B.C. that Amos preached. And God said, I'm going to, through Amos, I'm, I'm going to judge you. And I'm going to, and a cruel people were his means of judgment. The Assyrians, a cruel, brutal people. And through them, God utterly destroyed the northern kingdom. And unlike the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom never, never, never returned. And God said through Amos, I will not forget ever the things that you have done. And he swore it by the pride of Jacob. You know, usually when you read the pride of Jacob, you think, well, that must be a reference to the Lord. I mean, that's what Jacob was boasting in, was the Lord ultimately and finally. But in this particular case, in Amos, chapter 8, we read it in the scripture reading. The pride of Jacob was themselves. Their own arrogance. Their own self-sufficiency. And they were committed to it and unwilling to repent of it. And so God swore by that that did not change, which was their own arrogant, unrepented pride. And God brought judgment upon them. What was it that God hated so much? That He would utterly destroy those people and He would not forget forever what they had done. A symbol, a metaphor for what will happen to those who are committed to their own selfishness and self-purpose and will not get in line with God. Eternal separation from God, eternal judgment, no forgiveness, living forever and ever in that spirit of unrepentant rebellion against God and suffering the consequences for it. In one word, it was injustice. Listen to what Amos said in Amos 8, 4. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. And then in 2, 7, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted, a man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. This is injustice. This is what God wanted from his people. That's just a sample. If you read through those eight and three quarter chapters of Amos, you'll see it over and over and over again. In different ways, Amos Holds up a mirror so the people can see their injustice. You say, but wait a minute, I didn't see the word injustice in there. Why Why are you importing the word injustice in there? I, I saw people getting, you know, treating the poor, uh, you know, in a in an unloving way, and trampling on them, and mistreating them. I, I see that, and that's ugly, and that's mean, and that's stingy, but is, is, that, would you, would, is that unjust, injustice? Well, look at what God loves, Amos five twenty four. Amos says, but let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's what God loves. That's what God was wanting from his people. Let justice roll on like a river. But instead, it was the injustice of the way his people, who had his day, were treating the poor of the land. God's people, as a result, made their day a day of injustice, which God hated enough to destroy them. But at last, when you get to the end of Amos, when you get to that last quarter, there's good news. Jesus of the prophet Amos will bring a new day of justice, and it's already here. Before we dive into that noonday, however, I want us to deep dive deeper into the old day of injustice because, and this is our first point, the old day of injustice is still with us. You think about it, what we're reading there that was happening in the northern kingdom, that's, uh, that's 2,800 years ago. That's a long time. But that injustice continues. Well, I've been saying injustice, justice, what, what does that mean exactly? That wasn't me. That wasn't me again. (laughs) What do we mean by justice and injustice? Simply this, just, justice is fair. It's the right thing. Injustice, unfair, it's wrong. It's that simple. You know, you don't really have to teach people fairness and unfairness. That is the sense of it, the concept of it. Little four-year-old Sally has an older brother and mama says to her, it's time to go to bed. But she notices that her older brother doesn't have to go to bed when she does. And what does she say to her mommy? 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 It's just not fair that I have to go to sleep and he gets to stay up later than I do. Why is it that there seems to be this innate sense of fairness and unfairness? You don't even have to teach that concept, it just seems to emerge out of us. You know, uh, anthropologists would tell us you go anywhere in the world, you go to the deepest jungle that is totally living in the stone age and you begin to study their culture and you will find that there is a sense of fairness and unfairness. Now, I've noticed that in my neighborhood, I can see cats and dogs, but I don't ever see them talking about fairness and unfairness. Why is that? Dogs don't do that. Birds don't do that. Cats don't do that. But we do it as human beings. And so the answer for that is God is the source of this sense of fairness and unfairness. God said, let us make man, in our image, let us make man like us. And because we're like God, there's this sense of fairness and unfairness. God is the ultimate just one. We sang about it when we were talking about the Attributes of God in that beautiful hymn, song that we sang. God is good. God is just. God is loving. God is just. In Deuteronomy 32, 3 and 4, we read this. Just one example of many in the scriptures. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. God would not be God if he were not just. He's the creator. He's made us like him. And so he is that the source of that sense of fairness and unfairness. But he's also the measure of what is just, of what is fair and unfair. He is the plumb line. I've got a picture of a plumb line. There's a stonemason, and he's holding up a string, and, and the end of that string is a weight. And that enables him to see true vertical, the plumb. And he's, he's building a, a pillar there, and he needs to be sure that pillar is straight. Because, you know, if the pillar is leaning like this, you know, you're not going to have a good building. You, you're really not going to walk in that building. It might fall on you. You're going to go somewhere else. And so he's got the plumb line to be sure it's vertical. Be sure that the pillar is built right. Now, without that plumb line, he could, he could look at it. He could compare it to something else that seems straight. and could say, that looks straight to me. God is the plumb line of justice. And uh, God uh, says in Amos 7, 8 through 9, we read, the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, I see a plumb line. Then the Lord said behold I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel I will never again pass by them the high places of Isaac shall be made desolate and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with a sword God held up the plumb line of his own character in the midst of his people and he said you don't measure up You're wrong you're unjust, and I'm going to destroy you because I hate injustice. God had told them he wanted justice from them. He told them throughout the, the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy. summarized uh, that that call to justice was summarized by Micah in Micah 6 8 he has told you O man what is good and what does uh, the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God in fact God embedded the how-to of doing justice in Deuteronomy in the, in the very structure of the culture, there was the Sabbath week. Every seventh year, they were to erase all debts so that there wouldn't be a disparity, a growing disparity between the rich and the poor. Erase all those debts so we're back square. And then there was the year of Jubilee. The 50th year, every 50th year, everything was reset. Slaves were freed, people indebted were free, land went back to where it was supposed to be, who had it, who had it originally. All of that, it was a reset. Both those pointed to a day of perfect justice. And then there were the, uh, the rules about gleaning. It was an uh, agrarian society, farmers. They had fields. They grew their own. They didn't have Kroger, so they didn't grow what they ate. And so uh, they said, when you're, when you're out there and you're harvesting, leave the edges unharvested. Leave what's left from the harvesting process so that the poor can come in and they can get food. Be thoughtful of those who do not have as much as you have. But, and then all of that, called to justice, treating the poor in a certain way, reflecting the justice of God and how you treat people is summed up in the command, love your neighbor as yourself. But, the people didn't listen. They didn't listen to Amos. Thirty-three years later, the northern kingdom was no more. God takes the issue of justice seriously. Let's look a little bit more at that justice matter. Let's look at 8 4. Amos 8.4. There we are. Hear this, you trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. And then 8 two, 7, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. And now 8, 5 through 6, which we see on the screen. The people said, when will the new moon be over that we may sell grain in the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. What does all this mean? What, what is he saying? He's saying this. He treated people like dirt. He walked on them. People were either scenery or machinery. And they also treated God like dirt. They'd gather for worship. They'd celebrate the new moon. They observed the Sabbath, but their heart wasn't in it. They were religious. Religion is about ritual. Christianity is about a relationship with the living God. They had ritual, they had religion, but they didn't have a vital living relationship with God. There wasn't real brokenness because of their sin and a trust in the promise of God's salvation. And so their their heart is really on their money. That's really their God. And they worshiped other gods because those other gods would help them. So they thought, get more money, be successful. Other gods like Baal were all about growing better crops. Worship Baal and you'll be successful. Okay, we'll worship God and we'll worship Baal because what we really want is more. They were materialists. You know, it's interesting that the the day of Amos in the mid eighth century B.C. is very much like our own day. In the eighth century B.C., Israel was basically at peace with uh, their neighbors. And there was unprecedented uh, economic uh, boom in the culture. And the disparity between those who had a lot and those who had very little had never been bigger. That really sounds like today, doesn't it? Well, what about you? That's, that's the picture that amos paints of the injustice of the attitude of god's people toward those that were less fortunate than they were had less than they had they were poor oh and by the way the the, these people were worshiping uh, the god of money to the extent that instead of doing justice in the way they did business they were unjust because they wanted to get more money and so he, the, um, Amos talks about the people saying, when is this Sabbath going to get over so I can really get on with what I really want to do? It's kind of like, when will this sermon get over so that I can really get on with what I want to do? When will this service be over so I can really get out there and play football? That's really what I want to do. I, I have to do this in order to get out there and really play. Well, and then he talks about uh, make the ephah small. Ephah was a, a measure. We might say, we might, it might be like what I observed happened at Kroger a number of years ago. They used to have the, um, the vegetables in a box. You remember that? Boxes, old-fashioned things, boxes. Now... They put them in these bags, and this makes it so convenient. All you have to do is put it in the microwave, and you just heat it up. But I noticed it seems like, and I could have been wrong on this, but it seemed like there was less in the bag than there was in the box. And then it seemed like, and I could be wrong on this, but it seemed like it was more expensive in the bag than it was in the box which is exactly what was happening with these folks, they were saying, hey, let's make this, the, the measure smaller and let's make the cost greater. And we'll make even more money. In fact, let's change the scales so that when you put the meat on there, it'll say that it weighs more than it really does. I remember seeing a film that was, I guess, back in the uh, 1920s, and they, they had people in New York who were responsible to go around and to check the scales in all the little grocery stores all over New York because of the concern that the scales would not be properly balanced. Injustice is still with us. What about you? What pictures of injustice that you have done do you see in your own life? What picture gallery, what, what mental picture in your picture gallery comes to mind in your life? Is it, is it when you said to your parents one time, maybe raised your voice and said, you know, you don't love me. If you really love me, you would get me these clothes. If you really love me, you'd let me do what the neighbor's children get to do. If you really loved me, you get this car for me. God says, honor your mother and father. There's the plumb line. Or maybe it was the, uh, the injustice of what I mentioned earlier, where you're, you're in worship, and your heart is to be engaged, and you're to be listening to the preaching of the word of God, and what God has to say to you, and instead, you're not thinking about that because you really don't want to. What you're thinking about is going out into the outside and throwing that good old football. Let's have fun. Or you're thinking about the game. Or you're thinking about, I really got to get back. I got I a project I need to complete. What mental picture comes in your mind? I got a lot of them in my mind. A lot of them. I remember one when I was in middle school. I was in a hurry to get to the bus. bunch of kids all standing around out there, and I was just barreling along, running, dodging. And there was this fellow student, and he, was, he had metal crutches, and he was up like this, and I came running by, and I remember seeing my foot catch his crutch. And I just went right on by, and I kept right on going. And in my mind, I imagined him collapsing. And I never went back to see about him. I treated him like dirt. My getting to the bus, my not wanting to be caught mattered more than taking care of that little child. And if I had the opportunity today, I'd like to sit down with him and say, man, I am really sorry. That was no way to be treated. What about you? You know, where does this problem come from? This problem of injustice, fairness, Measuring up to what God says to do. Of course, it comes from Adam's original sin. He did, he was the unjust one to begin with. He reached out and took the fruit. God said, don't, You can have everything, but don't eat that fruit. And he he reached out. His wife said, Here, this is good, have some. He took it and he ate it. And he know, he knew this is not what God wants me to do, but it's what I want to do. He set himself up as his own plumb line of justice. We live in a day of radical individualism. Everybody is saying, What's fair is what I determines is fair. What's the cure for the problem? Some would say the cure is a, a new economic system. Are you feeling a little heartburny on that? Heartburny Sanders, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's interesting, I read that a few weeks ago he was speaking in an African-American church and he referred to the injustice of the, that's going on in the world, the disparity between the rich and the poor in our own land. And he said, you know, we need to do unto others as they do, uh, we need to do unto others as we would want them to do to us. We need to do, we need to love our neighbor. And of course, his answer for that is, Socialism and let's elevate the elite men and women who will make everything just. That won't work. We've tried it, Pilgrim's tried it, it failed. Venezuela's tried it, it's failed. Why is that? Because the problem is not the economic system. Others would say, hey, the problem, let me tell you what the problem is, is these lazy people. If they would just get up, out of the couch, get on down there, get down down the road, and see about getting a job, and start working for a living, like I work for a living, then this problem of poverty would be taken care of. It doesn't work either, and here's why. I, I, was, uh, I had the privilege of participating in a, an exercise called um, Leadership Polk when I lived in Polk County. And we had a simulated culture. And we were, we were divided into three groups. I didn't really know, i to have been through it, didn't know what was going to happen, and... And so we had our—and the three groups went into three different rooms. We were at a hotel, and we had these rooms we went into. And we went into a room. I was in a group that went into a room. And this room, it had a ceiling, it had a floor, and it had walls. That's all it had. There were no chairs, no tables, no pictures, no windows— There was absolutely nothing. And the rules we were reading specifically said, you cannot go out that door. You have to wait for somebody to come in there and help you. Now, we were a pretty strong group of people. I mean, we had a retired Marine Corps colonel in the group. We had the director of uh, industrial development for the county was in the group. We had another uh, representative from the county in the group and so we were a pretty heady group of people but let me tell you what happened to us in a matter of minutes we didn't know what to do all we could do was sit there and wait for somebody to come through the door we were ready to do something well it wasn't until later that we found out what was going on in the other two rooms and we found that out because finally somebody had come through and they came in, they said, hey, listen, we got the lottery for you. We're gonna help you with a lottery. And we said, man, we don't need a lottery, we need jobs. Give us something to do here, we're ready to do it. They didn't hear our cry. Finally, one of us was selected to go out and that one went out and discovered what was going on in the other two rooms. In the other two rooms, we found out it was the middle class and it was the upper class, and we found out we were the poor. We were so poor, we didn't know we were poor in that room. But there we were. And the upper class, man, they they had a window. They had curtains. They had soft chairs to sit in. They had food unbelievable, and they could go in and out. They could go to whatever room they wanted to go, but there we were trapped in there. And you know, I don't think the other folks fully understood our condition until lunchtime. Lunchtime, we came out, and our table, our table had a big can of peanut butter and white bread. That was it. When we looked at the other tables. Man, they were eating steak and chicken. And it was so funny. I just had to laugh. The other people said, oh, we are so sorry. Oh, my, we, we didn't know about this. Here, have some of my food. And I remember one of the guys saying, oh, just get away from me. We, we don't want your white guilt. Just get away. Get away. What was the lesson in that? The lesson in that was poverty is just not a matter of my own problem it's just not a matter of getting up and and going i need some position i need some possessions to be able to get up and get going and above all i need a right relationship with god and then i need some help i just don't need money thrown at me i need some help These people had, the the rich people in Amos' day, they had position and they had possessions. And they were unwilling to help. They had position. In our day, we call it privilege. Some people call it white privilege. It means power. It means you can go in and out the door you got connections. It's not only that you know something, but it's that you know people. The poor man doesn't have those. The poor woman doesn't have those. Possessions. We're the richest people walking on the face of the earth today. Most people in the world live on $2 a day. What are we doing with all that God has given to us. Are we treating people like dirt? Are they scenery and machinery? The heart of the problem is the heart that is committed to my life. Excuse me. Is committed to your life for mine versus Jesus' way, which is my life for you and that brings us to the second point the new day of justice is coming amos 9 11 we read this in that day i will raise up the booth of david that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old as a result of what God is going to do. And you notice God says, I'm going to do something. God is going to do something. You and I cannot deal with injustice. We can't fix the problem. There is no way you and I are going to deal with injustice and remove it from the face of the world. It isn't going to happen. There's going to be injustice until the end of the world. And that's because of the broken relationship with God, the broken relationship with self, the broken relationship with other people that comes out of a heart that is committed to my way. But as a result of what God is going to do that we read in verse 11, which we're going to come back to pretty quickly, we see here in verse 12, something's going to happen. Number one, there's going to be a change in relationships with people that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. The relationship between Jacob and Esau was a bad relationship. It was an unjust relationship. And it continues to this day in the Middle East. But a day is going to come when that broken relationship is gonna be fixed and the nations who are called by my name will come together and there will be justice. Alec Motir in his commentary notes that that phrase, all the nations who are called by my name refers to dominion, the dominion of the Lord over them. And it also refers To the marriage relationship. You think of the bride of Christ. The day is coming. When all the nations of the world will be gathered together as the bride of Christ. We think of heaven. A new heavens a new earth. He's speaking of that there. And then we come to 9.13. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman will overtake the reaper and the trader of grapes, him who sows the seed. What in the world is he talking about there? What he's talking about is a a creation that is amazingly productive. You know, you plant the seed, and then there's the harvest, and then there's a period of time before you plant the seed again. The ground lies fallow. But here he says, envisioning, I see a day when the plowman's going to be overtaking the reapers. They're going to be out there still harvesting when it's time to plant the seeds. So productive is this new creation going to be. Same with the grapes. The mountains shall drip sweet wine. You know, that might be easy to understand with uh, the Smoky Mountains. Mountains? Yeah, I can, we can see things growing in there. How about the Rocky Mountains? How about the really tall Rocky Mountains? You know, there's a thing called the tree line. You get above the tree line and you have the rocks. That's all you got are rocks. He's saying from the mountains, tops of the mountains shall drip sweet wine. There's going to be a new creation that is going to be more wonderful than we could ever imagine, more productive than we could ever possibly imagine. We're going to be able to work on a project that should only take an hour. And we're actually going to be able to finish in an hour. <laughs> yeah, all I needed to do was to change out the, the, uh, the cartridge in my, in my uh, faucet in the, in the bathroom. Yeah. Two days later, I finally finished the project. Simple project well we all recognize that a new day is coming a new day of justice where the creation is to be what it's supposed to be and then we see in verses 14 and 15 a new day for god's people i will restore the fortunes of my people israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine they shall make gardens and eat their fruit I will plant them on the land, and and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. We need to read this as good Christians. It's talking about the people of God, Jew and Gentile, and the new heavens and new earth. Not just a little postage stamp piece of real estate of the Middle East, but the whole world. As Paul said, God promised Abraham the world. That's what God's going to accomplish as a result of what he's going to do in Amos 9-11. We'll go back to that. In that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches. And I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. How's, how's the Lord going to do that? This is the promise of Jesus right here. The son of David. Jesus... At the beginning of Matthew's gospel, is called the Son of David. Six times he's called the Son of David by others. The blind men said, Son of David, Son of David. When Jesus was coming in at the triumphal entry, he received the praise of the people. Hail the Son of David. Here was the promised king, the Son of David, the Lord Jesus. And he's the one who comes to raise up David's fallen booth. I prefer tent. And how does the Lord Jesus do that? How does God do that? Look at uh, John chapter 1. And verse 1 and 14, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, the glory as of the only Son, from the Father full of grace and truth. The Word was God, the Son of God. This is the Trinity, 1-1. And then we see in verse 14, The Word, the eternal Son, The word that was God, the word that was with God, the word became flesh. That's what Christmas is all about, the incarnation of the Lord Jesus. This is the way that God is going to restore the kingdom, his kingdom, the kingdom of David in this world. He will become flesh and then the word dwelt, which is the same word, root word, as we see with the reference to Booth in the Amos passage I will raise up the tent of David. Jesus came to dwell in the tent of David's flesh. As to his human nature, Jesus had DNA, David's DNA. He was a descendant of David. And how did God do this through Jesus? Through a great mighty army? No, Jesus became poor. Jesus entered into and identified with our poverty. You see, we're the richest people in the world and yet left to ourselves, we're the poorest people in the world with all of our money. We're the poorest people in the world because we're poor before God in all of his righteousness and justice, we do not measure up in ourselves. Jesus became utterly poor. He became a man and was obedient to his father, even to the point of death, death on a cross. The worst thing that could be done to anybody in the Roman Empire. So terrible that it could not be done to a Roman citizen. The Roman soldier who was there at the crucifixion of Jesus and said, this was the Son of God, I think he said it in amazement because he understood The gods of the Romans can become humans. We don't have any problem with that. But the idea that a God would be crucified, this was the Son of God. I cannot believe it. Jesus became so poor. They stripped him naked as he hung on the cross. So poor that he received the outpoured wrath of God. He identified with our injustice, he experienced it. And then he experienced the justice of God that you and I deserve, that through faith in him, we might be justified. That is made right with God. And what is the fruit of being made right with God? That really brings us to our third and final point. The noonday of justice is already here. And the fruit of our justification is to do justice. Because when we come into a faith relationship with Jesus Christ, our hearts are made clean. The Holy Spirit comes to live in us. We become changed people. We're different. God begins a process of making us like the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus who though he was rich became poor for our sake, so that in him we might have the riches of God's grace. James said, what is religion that is pure and undefiled? He said it is to take care of orphans and widows and to keep yourself unstained from the world. It's to be godly. And then in chapter 2, James, the first book of the New Testament that was written, James already was dealing with nominal Christianity. People saying, hey, I'm a Christian, but they weren't bearing the fruit of that relationship. And the fruit of being justified is that we do justice. We take care of people. We love God and we love people. We don't treat God like dirt. We don't treat people like dirt. And when we do, we repent. John said in 1 John, how can you say the love of God is in you when you see someone in need and you're untouched, unmoved by that? The new day of justice is already here. Amos didn't see that. He suffered from what we call prophetic foreshortening. You and I experience that when we go to the mountains. We see a mountain and say, if I can just get to the top of that mountain then I'll be where I need to be. You get up to the top of the mountain, you find out, man, I didn't know there were a bunch of mounds behind this mountain. It's a long way for me to get where I need to get to. You know, it looks like my hand is right right together, but when you turn him this way, you see there is a space there. There was a the coming of Jesus and then there's the second coming of Jesus. Heaven's coming. But the day of justice is already here. You know, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the river of justice. that's right here in this congregation. People that have been justified by faith in the Lord Jesus. The Spirit of God has come to live in you. You have been changed. The orientation of your life is not to seek first your kingdom, but the kingdom of God. Jesus said, my life for you. And so we follow Jesus. And we say, Lord, help me follow you. My life for others. We do justice when we send missionaries to the college campuses in the capitals of the world, when we engage our network of friends and the, the good news. We see this, for example, in Acts 15, 14 and 18. It was, uh, it was an important meeting of the church. Peter said, I was preaching in a, a Roman uh, officer's house and the Holy Spirit fell on those people and just like he's fallen on us and they had become Christians. I had to baptize And there was a party of people said, man, that wasn't right. Those are Gentiles. Those are dirty, terrible, poor, sorry, Gentiles. They got to become Jews like we are. They got to become righteous and good like we are. They need to be circumcised. It was a big meeting. How are we going to treat these Gentiles? Peter said, Hey, I preached. They believed. The Spirit came. What was I to do? They believed, and their hearts were clean. I baptized them. So James says, Okay, guys, I see it now. It's a fulfillment of Amos. Simeon, that's a reference to Peter, is related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, after this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who makes these things known from old. We do justice as we seek forgiveness and grant forgiveness. You know, you and I have been forgiven so much. Just think through the injustices that you have done in your life. And you are forgiven. The instant you believe in Jesus, you are right with God. You're clothed with his righteousness. And so out of the riches of the forgiveness we have, we can grant forgiveness no matter how deeply we're hurt. Yes, we have to work through that. Yes, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. But out of the riches of our forgiveness that we have received from God, we can forgive and we can seek forgiveness. It's been paid for, our sin's been paid for. And so we can be honest about it and say, man, I really blew it. And you know, when it's a husband, you reach out your hand and you take your wife's hand and you say, honey, I am so sorry. I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. We're giving her a taste of heaven. We're acknowledging our sin. And when she says in response, you know, I've been forgiven so much, yes, it hurt, it hurt deeply but I forgive you. We seek justice when we generously use our possession and possessions and our time so people experience what's right and good and have a taste of heaven to come here and now. By the grace of God, you and I fight the spirit of the middle class, it says, it's, if I can, with apologies to J.G. Wentworth. It's my money, and I want to spend it the way I want to spend it. We resist that spirit of the middle class, and we follow the Holy Spirit, and we say, Lord, you have given me so much. You have given me influence and connections. How can I use these things to help other people? And you're doing it here. I see it. I see it in foster care. I see it in those who help support those in foster care. I see it in God's farm ministry and all of you helping with that ministry. I see it in adopted children and adopted parents. I see it in missionaries we're sending to the campus and to the capitals of the world. I see it in the Safe Families Initiative to try to move up the Intervention ladder to to help families before they get into the system. And I see it in participating in the open hands ministry in our community, godly men mentoring in the 12 for life program. You know, I have this vision as the doors open in just a moment, I see a river of justice. And I see that river gushing out into the foyer. And then I see it gushing out of the doors of the church. And I see it gushing out and getting into cars. And then I see this river of justice flowing down the hill. And then I see it going out on 27 and dispersing all into Carrollton and Carroll County. Jesus has brought a new day of justice. It hasn't come fully. Heaven's not here yet, but it's coming. But you and I can bring a taste of heaven. We can bring it to the people in our family, in our neighborhood, in our community. the new, new day of justice is coming, and it's already here. Let justice roll on like a river. Let us pray. Oh, mighty God, we... We praise and thank you for the message of Amos. It's a tough one to hear because it really shows us what we are. It helps us to see that. And Lord, as I've been studying on this, I've just been so broken by my own spirit of injustice, the sin that remains within me. And thank you, Lord, for your you're becoming poor in order to meet, give me the riches of forgiveness and justification in the presence of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and the promise of a wonderful, glorious future, and the assurance of everything I need will be provided to me. That, Lord, in the position and the possessions you've given me is the opportunity to extend justice to those around. Lord, enable us to do that more and more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.